is the Mayfair Witchcast, where I tell my favorite person, me, Tim, my favorite story. So listen along every week as I break down this story chapter by chapter with that insight, me. Warning, we are not professionals. This story contains many triggers. We talk about them as gently as we can. But I'm just a girl telling her husband an amazing story of a family of witches, ghosts, ancient orders, lust, and love. So join us for a read-along in discussion of the lives of the Mayfair witches. Hi, babe. Hello, dear. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Mayfair Witchcast. Yeah, it's been a while. It has. You're going to have to bring has. me up to speed oh. on everything. <laughs> well, you know what we're doing today? We're, you know what we're starting? Part four. The Devil's Bride. You know what we're not doing? A recap or wrap up of part three. Because it was so short. Yeah. I think you would need a recap, but you're telling me you don't remember what happened last oh, time? You just can bring me up. It's been like two, three weeks. I don't know. <sighs> Feels like a while. So last time there was a like a garden party and the fam was all there and old people in Lots the family. Lots of parties, right? Lots of parties, yeah. Engagement parties, is that what we're, we're doing? Mm-hmm. And the old people were sitting around drinking. Everybody was really drunk. And they started talking about the family legend. Yeah. Right? And they talked all about the 13 witches and the doorway. And what they think it is. And what Michael thinks it is. And it's all still kind of up in the air. Do you remember? That sounds familiar. (laughs) Part of the family thinks it was going to be like their salvation. It was going to save them. Part of the family thinks that like it was going to make Lasher come through when the 13 witches were gathered together. Michael is in disagreement. He thinks it's the 13th witch. Not 13 witches together, but number 13. Yeah. Which would be Rowan. And he's so still, we just heard some theories on the doorway and the 13 and all that. And that was the end of part three. That was chapter 39. But yeah, today we're starting part four, the devil's bride. Any predictions on what that means? Lasher might make an appearance. Yeah. So part four starts with chapter 40. Which begins, would she remember this afterwards, she wondered? It's one of the happiest days of her life. Weddings must work their magic on everyone. And she's like falling into it. This shit is exotic. It's old world, old fashioned and old fangled. And she wants it so much. She's into it. The whole thing. The night before, she actually went to church. To, like, pray alone. Quotation, pray alone. This, like, surprises Michael. But really, she just wants to sit in the dark church, get ready for the wedding. 
she wants to talk to Ellie about the wedding and explain like why she broke her vow to never go back and why she's doing this and how it's all going to work out. And she wants to talk about her dress and the family and how she's given in to it happily to the yards and yards of white silk lace and the full shimmering veil. She's going all the nine yards, bridesmaids, and Beatrice is the matron of honor, and how Aaron's going to give her away. She's basically at this church to talk to her mom. She explains about the emerald, and she wants Ellie to, like, be with her and forgive her because she wants it all so much. So after she feels close to her mother, and she tries to, like, get rid of the memory of the old woman out of her mind, meaning Carlotta. She's still, that's still popping up. Yeah. You know. She thinks about all of her old friends that she's been talking to. She called them all, let them know. They've been sending exquisite presents, even though she has forbidden it. And she has the feeling that they would see each other in the future. At least before her real work begins on Mayfair Medical. She ends her prayers in a strange way. By, it, this is Anne's words, in a strange way. She lighted a candle for her two mothers. And a candle for Antha. And even one for Stella. It was such a soothing ritual. I don't know if you've ever done this. I have not. You've never lit a candle in church for somebody? Nope. I have did this a lot in my younger years. Here's the deal, though. You're supposed to pay to light a candle. When you light a candle, there's a little box, right? And it's like donations, box. It's like iron. At least for my church, it was like iron, and it was like welded onto this little gate thing that was around this shrine of little tea light candles. And you pay, and then you get to light a candle. I would do this often. And never pay. Oh, you stole from God. What the fuck, though? Like, you're gonna pay <laughs> to light your tea light? Like, come on. I was also like nine. I very much enjoyed this. I don't know who I was actually lighting it for. I would make something up in my mind like real quick. Like, oh, for this person I know who has a cold. But it was like ugh, something I did as a kid that I very much loved. I don't know. Anybody else did this? Let me know. Am I the only one? I think striking the match was most of, like, I got to like strike a match and fucking catch something on fire. Yeah. So she goes on to talk about how to see the little wick ignite. To see the fire dance before the statue of the Virgin. No wonder they did such things, these wise old Catholics. <laughs> you could almost believe that the graceful flame was a living prayer. Yeah, that whole thing rang home for me. So she leaves the church. It's like, now it's, we're back to the day. The day of the wedding. One o'clock. The wedding is at last beginning. She's, st she's standing there in church waiting. 
in her big poofy dress with the emerald around her neck. It's the only color on her. Remember, mm -hmm. it's like she's dressed in all white. She has like almost white blonde hair. She has like gray eyes and pale skin. So it's just like Bam. white <laughs> and boom, emerald. They're at St. Mary's Assumption. It's fucking packed with Mayfairs. They're, they come from New York, L.A., Atlanta, Dallas, all over. There's over 2,000 of them in this church. The organ starts playing. The bridesmaids are going. We got Clancy, Cecilia, Marianne, Polly, Regina, you know. They're going up the aisle. Beatrice, matron of honor, who I can only imagine it. Like, I was assuming this bitch was, like, in her, like, 50s or 60s. Uh, can you be a maid of honor? A maid of honor in your 50s? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I guess she is. Rowan had no one else. I guess B's been the shit, though. She has been the shit. Like, yeah. I guess. Beatrice, super splendid. Looking even younger than the other ones. Of course, all the ushers are Mayfairs. And now, the moment. Organs. Yep. She, like, quickly adjusts herself, fix her veil up. She smiles at her little flower girl, Mona. Who, of course, has a big ribbon in her red hair. And um, she takes Aaron's arm. He walks her down the aisle. And when she sees Michael, he's, like, perfectly adorable. Without the gloves. He's not wearing them. Wow. She calls them awful gloves. They get up there. Erin lifts up her veil and throws it back over her shoulders, like, very gracefully. All perfect-like. Um, and then he takes her hand, and he puts it in Michael's hand, and he says, be good to her always, Michael. And she, like, closes her eyes. She's, like, taken in the moment. You know, everything's all fucking perfect. And then the, the priest begins the shit, the traditional words. Michael's also, like, tearing up. He's, like, trembling. She's afraid she's going to, like, lose her voice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because she's been faintly sick that morning. Maybe it's worry, um, and she's had, like, a touch of dizziness again. Then it strikes her. The ceremony itself, like, conveys, like, this immense power. It's gonna, like, wrap them up in some invisible protective force. This is a thing that, like, her old friends used to laugh at, and she used to find unimaginable. But now, when she's in the middle of it, she loves it. She's open to it. Finally, the language of the old Mayfair legacy starts. This is the part that's different from your normal Catholic ceremony. So the priest starts reciting. Now and forever, in public and in private, before your family and all others, without expectation, and in all capacities, to be known only by the name Rowan Mayfair, daughter of Deirdre Mayfair, Daughter of Antha Mayfair, though your lawful husband shall be called by his own name. It ends in like a little dot dot dot. 
I don't know if this implies that he keeps going or if he just looks at her. Anyway, she's like, I do. He goes on. Nevertheless, and with a pure heart, do you take this man, Michael, James, Timothy, Curry? I do. And it's done. There's the whole public ceremonial kiss, which she's super into. She loves it. She whispers to him. And he whispers to her, I love you. I love you too. My, my archangel, she calls him. Then the first notes of the wedding march start playing loud and sharp. And like fucking noise fills the church with all these 2,000 people standing up, I guess. And she turns around and the sun is pouring in. The sun, so sunshine, mm-hmm. happy, not storming. Sun is coming in the stained glass windows, and they take their long, quick walk down the aisle. She's overwhelmingly happy. They hop in the limo while Mayfairs are throwing rice at them. (laughs) I can't imagine 2,000 people throwing rice at you. Do they give everybody rice, or do, like, only certain (laughs) people get rice? Oh, I have no idea. Never been at a wedding where we actually threw rice. I think that we got rid of that. Yeah, I think that that well... Yeah. Kills birds. Yeah. Or it's just bad <laughs> for the birds and the and the people who have to clean up. Because imagine rice thrown all over the place. And then it rains. And you have, like, sticky rice with, like, ants crawling on it and shit. Like, no. If, if you were, no. If I was a wedding venue, hell no. No rice. Even when I was little, like, I was in a wedding when I was, like, five or six. We didn't do rice. We did a balloon release, which is also just bad for the environment. So they hop in a limo. Michael's, like, kissing her, and he's saying, like, all the right things, you know, that a husband should say to a bride. You're so beautiful. I'm so happy. And she just sits back, and she starts thinking about, like, all the landmark moments in her life, like graduation, the first day she's an intern, the first day she walks into an operating room, the first time she hears the words, well done, Dr. Mayfair, after an operation. And she thinks, yeah, and it's only just begun. There's a little break in the chapter. And the next part picks up. Hundreds milled over the grass. Under the great white tents, which had been erected to cover the garden, the pole, and the back lawn before the... And here is the word. Here is a word. Okay. Garconier. These letters aren't even English letters. There's asterisks, this is all in whatever, not all over the place. Umlauts. There's an umlaut, and I don't even know what to call this C. Okay, so, ready? Tim Googles. G-A-R. C with a bottom umlaut? I don't even know what to call that. O-N-N-I- E with a regular thing above it. Yeah, it's a, a bachelor. R E. It's a bachelor apartment. It's a bachelor apartment. Yeah. What is that? Garcinier. 
Garcenier. What is a bachelor apartment? I don't even know what that means. Is it like a mother-in-law suite? Like, or like the above garage? I don't know any the definition of bachelor apartment. They were on either end of a house in the 19th century. Like it's just a separate little place? Yeah. Bachelor pad, love nest. <laughs> Fuck pad. So they apparently have one of those. <laughs> and there's a tent in front of it. There's also like buffet tables that are sagging beneath the weight of all the southern dishes. Like, you know, crawfish and shrimp and jambalaya and the list goes fucking on. Waiters are pouring champagne. Bartenders are making cocktails. At the well-stocked bars, in the parlor, the dining room, and beside the pool. So we got three full bars. Children of all sizes are running around, playing tag. They're yelling in utter mortification of various parents that they've just seen the ghost. There's a Dixie Lane band playing for hours. Michael and Rowan are receiving people in front of the mirror at the end of the parlor on First Street House. One after another. Just, hi, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. Thank you. Hours. Bunch of Michael's old high school friends show up thanks to the diligent efforts of Rita Mae Lonigan. <laughs> Rita Mae. The best bestie. Yeah. Showing up. <clears throat> Not one, of, not not one of the Mayfairs thought to invite Michael's people, but Rita May was like Michael should have friends. So she had even located a couple long lost cousins of his, um, a nice old woman named Amanda Curry and um, some guy named Franklin Curry who went to high school with Michael's father. So they came. They're enjoying it. Both of them. Michael, probably more. Beatrice has been coming to hug Michael twice every half an hour. <laughs> and he's like real touched because of the way her, Lily, and Gifford have took Aunt Vivian under their wing. So emotions are running high for all the fucking Mayfairs. From various cities. You know, they're, they're back together again. They haven't seen each other in years. Flash bulbs went off continuously. Big, black, hulking video cameras are filming them. It, some of the language in this chapter just makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, the 90s. Finally, this receiving of guests is over, and her and Michael are free to, like, roam around. The heat of the day is gone. Some guests are leaving early. The pool is full of like half-naked little kids are screaming and splashing and there's even a few drunk adults who jumped in fully clothed. More food is being brought out. More cases of champagne are being opened. The hardcore 500, literal words from the page, the hardcore 500 or so Mayfairs, whom Rowan had already come to know personally, just milling about like they're right at home mm -hmm. just chilling just hanging out all over the place people are admiring the restoration there's some description here 
the soft peach color of the parlor walls, and the beige silk draperies. Yeah. <laughs> and the dark, somber green of the library and the glowing white woodwork throughout. Ew. I know the 90s are back. In, like, a big way, but, like, let's please not start decorating our homes like we did in the 90s. That shit was awful. <laughs> it was literal vomit colors. That was awful. I would like to never go back there. Please, thank you. They're looking at all the old portraits. They've, like, gathered, because they're kind of worshipping the portrait of Deborah that has been commissioned. It is now hanging above the fireplace in the library. They help Fielding, old man Fielding. Remember him? He was one of the old men from the last chapter. Yeah. They help him take a whole tour of the house so that he can see every room. Old man Peter and old man Randall are settled down in the library, smoking pipes, arguing about portraits and what date they're from. And Ryan's all like, well, what, what cost would it be to acquire this alleged Rembrandt, you know? That's the conversation that's going on. <laughs> With the first gusts of rain, the band moved indoors to the back end of the parlor. People start kicking off their shoes. It's all mayhem and everybody's dancing. This is when Rowan loses track of Michael. She can't find him. So she like flees off to the small little powder room. She locks the door, stands there, heart pounding in silence, just staring at herself in the mirror. She's, the word they use is faded, crushed, like the bouquet she'd have to toss later. Her lipstick's worn off and fucking her makeup's fucked up, but her eyes are still shining like that emerald. So she touches it, she adjusts it on her dress. And she closes her eyes and she pictures Deborah. And she's like, yes, it was right to have worn it. Right to have done everything the way they wanted. And she's really trying to, like, remember this moment to save it for herself. This day among them. Everyone here. Like, I have to remember this. I gotta take this in. She opens the door to find Rita Mae crying. Right outside in the library. So she takes Rita's hand and she's all like, yeah, I've been thinking about Deirdre too. And she likes thinking of Deirdre and Ellie and even Antha. She goes into why she understands why people fled, why they left the family and the tradition. And she's sorry for them. She's also sorry for anyone who had ever known this strange intimacy with so many of the same name and clan. Surely Ellie would understand. So she's feeling guilty. So she's back into the parlor looking around for Michael. And that's when she sees him. Suddenly he's standing there quiet and alone leaning up against the fireplace. And she immediately knows the look on his face. He's flushed and agitated and she understands the way his eyes are locked on some distant thing. Goes up to him. He doesn't notice her. She whispers his name. He doesn't notice. He, she tries to, like, follow his gaze. 
and it's just people dancing and there's rain hitting the windows. Maybe he's looking at that. No. She's like, what is it? He doesn't move. She like tugs on his arm. She very gently like turns his face to her, says his name again, and he like roughly turns away from her, looks again to where he was staring, and nothing this time. It was gone, whatever it was. Thank God. She's like, what, what, what was it? He's like, nothing really. I thought I saw. It doesn't matter. She's again like, but what was it? He's like, nothing. And he like gives her a little kiss. And he's like, nothing's going to spoil this for us. Nothing crazy and strange on this day. And she's like, okay, just stay with me. Don't leave me again. She takes him out of the parlor and back into the bathroom so they can be alone. She can feel that his heart is still is like pounding, you know. And after a minute, he's like, it's okay. Honestly, things I'm seeing, they don't mean anything. Don't worry. It's like the images I'm catching, impressions of things that happened long ago. That's all. Come on, honey. Look at me. Kiss me. I love you. And this is our day. And then there's a little break in the chapter, and I think that's a good time for us to take a break. While Rowan and Michael are taking a break in the powder room. Agreed. Okay. We'll be back with the second half of chapter 40. We're back. We are. With the rest of this chapter. So the next part starts... The party moved on, vigorously and madly, into the evening. So they cut the cake. Trays of sweets are passed. I don't know if that means cake or, like, other sweets. So in our region, we do... You're going to talk about it, now I want them. About what? Cookies. Cookies, yes. I'm about to talk about cookies. In our region of the world, we do what is known as a cookie table where the bride's relatives or maybe the males too i guess it just depends on the family and how much they like to make cookies <laughs> they all make cookies and they put them on this table and they're just there for the guests to eat this must be the rich person equivalency of that the, there are trays of sweets passed around and coffee you know because the party's got to keep going there are Mayfairs having, like, long, heartfelt conversations with each other. The rain starts coming down harder outside. There's thunder every once in a while. The bars are still open. For most of the gathering, continue to drink. <laughs> Finally, it's decided that Rowan's going to throw the bouquet from the stairway. Now, now she has to do it. She climbs halfway up the stairs, looks down, sees like the sea of upturned faces. She closes her eyes, turns around, throws the bouquet up in the air. There's a bunch of screaming and pushing and scuffling. 
and suddenly a beautiful young Clancy Mayfair held up the bouquet. Pierce threw his arms around her, obviously declaring to the whole world his particular and selfish delight in her good luck. And Rowan's like, ah, so Pierce and Clancy, is it? She hadn't seen it before. She hadn't even guessed, but she has little doubt now and she watches them, like, slip away. Meanwhile, over by the fireplace, Randall is having an argument with Fielding. The new band of the evening <laughs> is arriving. The new band. I heard you. She's rich. And it begins to play a waltz and everyone cheers. They're fancy. They're fancy, yeah. Older couples get up and start dancing. Michael, of course, at once takes Rowan and leads her onto the dance floor in the middle of the parlor. It's a flawless moment, of course. Beatrice is dancing with Randall. Aunt Vivian is dancing with Aaron. Mm-hmm. Ooh. All the old ones are dancing. And, like, all the, like, really young ones are dancing it, too. Like, little Mona is dancing with old Pete. And Clancy and Pierce are back on the dance floor. <laughs> By 9 o'clock, most of the Mayfairs are crying. <laughs> They've reached a point of crucial confession or understanding in a conversation. Or simply because everybody has drank too much. And danced too long. And some people just felt they ought to cry. (laughs) Rowan doesn't exactly know. It just seemed natural for Beatrice. She sat there bawling on the couch with Aaron hugging her. And Gifford, who's been going on for hours, explaining something that seems important. Aunt Viv is crying. And Lily's gotten into some loud argument with Peter and Randall. Rowan decides that they are the I Remember Stella crowd. Rita May is crying with Amanda Curry and Frank Curry. And they're they're giving a tearful goodbye as they leave. By 10 o'clock, the, the crowd has dwindled down to maybe 200. Rowan's taken off her heels. And she's sitting in front of the fireplace in the parlor. Sleeves rolled up, smoking a cigarette. Feet curled up underneath of her, listening to Pierce talk about his last trip to Europe. Lily and B have gone off to prepare the wedding chamber. Whatever that meant. I don't, Rowan or Normie knows what that, well, I know what it means now because, you know, but whatever that means. Her feet hurt. She's hungry. There's only desserts left. And, girl, I know how that feels. Michael's with the priest at the other end of the room. The band has moved on from the old shit to more recent things like Blue Moon or the Tennessee Waltz. I know what Blue Moon is. I don't know what the Tennessee Waltz is. The cake, except for the one piece that they saved, you know, is gone. It's devoured. Grady's. Come flooding in. They've been delayed from New York. They come flooding in through the front door with apologies, whatnot. You know, it took him too long to get there. 
They're just getting to the party now. In the back dining room, there's like a large party of people who have come together to take photographs. But they're now singing My Wild Irish Rose. At 11 o'clock, Aaron's like, goodbye. He kisses Rowan. He's taking Aunt Viv home. (laughs) But he'll be at the hotel if they need anything. And he's like, have a safe trip to Florida in the morning. Bye. Michael's old friends leave. They're going to a bar in the Irish Channel. (laughs) This is all explained in much more detail about what they're doing. I'm just like, I'm simplifying into what all the... They're partying. Partying hard. Yeah. The stairs are still blocked with couples and fast conversation. The caterers are still are now rustling something up in the kitchen for the New York Grady's. I don't know if you remember, um, like, Amanda Grady Mayfair, like, the New York Mayfairs. They took, like, Aunt Anne, and then they took, when those girls ran away, there was, like, that group of Mayfairs in New York. Uh, but they're here now. Okay. They're here now, and they're hungry. So, Ryan stands up, and he demands silence, and he cl- declares that... This party is over. Get out and leave the wedding couple alone, basically. (laughs) Then he grabs a fresh glass of champagne from, like, one of those trays that that some guy's walking around with. And he turns to Rowan and he's like, to the wedding couple. To their first night in this house. And there's a bunch of cheers. Like, a hundred people repeat the toast. And they're like, God bless all in this house declares the priest as he's walking out the door. Bunch of voices are going on and on. They're doing toast to to Darcy Moynihan and Catherine, to Julian and Mary Beth, to Stella. The word in the book is the leave taking. Which I don't know if that's a real word or not. The leave taking took over half an hour. So they gotta stand there again saying goodbye to people for half an hour. That's what they mean by the the leave taking. Like people taking leave. Yeah. I don't know why she didn't just like she loves words. She maybe that's why she wrote this, because she loves words. She was like, that's a new, that's a word. Leave taking. <laughs> she could have wrote the people taking leave, but she didn't. She wrote the leave taking. It takes over half an hour. Meantime. The caterers are sweeping through all the rooms, like, silently, picking up all the glasses and napkins and fluffing pillows and shit, just making shit look brand new all over again. And at last, it's over. And Ryan's the last one to go, because he pays the caterers. (laughs) And he's seen to it that everything else is perfect and that the house is empty. And he's all, good night, my dears. He leaves. And for a long minute, Rowan and Michael just stare at each other. Then they start cracking up. They break into laughter. Michael does a thing where he picks her up and swings her around in a circle. Like, what are, what are, like, are they 14? Or, no. What they do, like, in their little, oh, we're so in love, is, like, I don't know, do people in their 30s and 40s Act like 14-year-olds when they fall? I don't know. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Anyways, he does that whole thing. 
picks her up, swings her around in a circle. Of course, she, like, giggles. <laughs> He's all, we did it. That was what everybody wanted, and we did it with the way they wanted, and it's over, and it's done. And she's still laughing, and the clock starts going in the background, you know? The grandfather clock that they have mentioned several times that they have had restored starts striking. So he's like, listen, she whispers, Michael, it's midnight. And he, like, takes her hand. Again, language in this book. Again. He hit the wall button. What's a wall button, babe? Do you know what's going to happen? An elevator. No. To shut off the light. Have you ever called a light oh. switch called a wall button? Well, it used to be a button. It's still a switch. If there's two buttons, that's a switch. On, off, switch. Oh. Yeah, we've had a house with buttons instead of a flick thing. You, there were push, but still, that's a, still a switch. No, I've never... It's a push button, apparently. He hit the wall button to shut that off button. the light. And they go, they, he doesn't carry her up the stairs. They run together up the stairs. In dark. In the dark. Because only one room at the top of the stairs has some light coming out of it. I don't know if you remember. But, you know, like, the irons went off to prepare the, the, wedding the marital room or whatever <laughs> they called it. What you call it? I think they said wedding chamber. Wedding chamber, marital bedroom, whatever whatever you will. <laughs> oh, yuck. So the light's on in there and they can see. It's their bedroom. They kind of move silently through the doorway. Like, what the fuck is about to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Michael's all, Rowan, look what they've done. So the room has been prepared by Beatrice and Lily. There's a bouquet of pink roses on the mantel with two silver candelabras and the candles are lit. There's, um, on the dresser, there's like some champagne that's sitting on ice with two glasses on like a little silver tray. The bed has been like made and turned down. There pajamas are laid out for on each side of the bed and you know there's a rose on her side with a bit of ribbon tied to it the, on the other side there's like a single candle on the table she's all oh how sweet and Michael like and so it's her wedding night ew <laughs> and the clock just stopped chiming. It's the witching hour, darling. And we have it all to ourselves. I don't, I don't. They're, the speech is different in this book, and I get it. Like, the way they talk is, like, 1990s, super literature, rich people speak. But sometimes Michael says things, and I'm just, says some things, and I'm just like, ugh. And so it's our wedding night, Rowan? Ew, I don't know. That just gives me... So again, they look at each other and they start to laugh uncontrollably. This is somehow funny to her. 
they're like, they can't stop because they're so fucking tired. And they know, but they look at each other and they know that they're like too tired to actually do it. It's midnight. The wedding started at one. So that's 11 hours. Rowan have probably been, you know, like primped and stuff for hours before that. Yeah. So yeah, long day. I get it. But Rowan's like, we should at least drink the champagne. He agrees. They take off the fucking tuxedo and the dress and hang it all up and put all that shit away. And she unfastens the emerald and lays it out on the end of the mantle. Just lays it out there. She's not hiding it now. They sit in bed. They drink their champagne. And, you know, one thing leads to another. Afterwards, Michael's all... Rowan, you know, nothing went wrong. You know, absolutely nothing. It was the perfect day. God, that a day could be so perfect. She thinks to herself, except that you saw something that scared you. But she doesn't say it out loud. Because she don't want to ruin it. Then she gets dizzy again. She gets like a touch of nausea. Like she felt earlier in the day. He's all, what's the matter? She's all, nothing. It's just nerves. So she goes down for some Alka-Seltzer. And she's all, I'll be right back. And he's like, I'll go for you. And she's like, nah. I'll be back in two seconds. Maybe I'll take the elevator. What the hell? <laughs> Why they haven't just been taking the elevator? Just because they can take an elevator? I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't walk, I, fuck, if I moved to do a house with an elevator, it'd probably be, like, a while before the novelty wore off. I would just be, like, riding the elevator up and down. <laughs> so she goes down, she goes through the pantry, into the kitchen, gets some Alka-Seltzer, and she stood there drinking Alka-Seltzer, and then she closes her eyes. She's like, yeah, that's better, even if it's just psychological, it's better. And then, the way this is written... This is not in italics, like it normally would be. This is just a person speaking out loud. It's just in quotations. It says, she's like, oh yeah, I feel better. Good. I'm glad you feel better. And she's all like, thank you. She thinks like, what a lovely voice. That's like so soft and that touch of a Scottish accent, is it? It's a beautiful voice. Then she opens her eyes and she has like a violent start, stumbles backwards up against the refrigerator and he is standing on the other side of the counter, about three feet away. His whisper had been raw, heartfelt, but the expression on his face was a little colder. And entirely human. Slightly hurt, perhaps, but not imploring. As it had been that night in Tiburon? No, not at all. This is a real man. Not a joke. This is a real man standing right here in the kitchen, staring at her. A tall, brown-haired man with large, dark eyes. And a beautifully shaped, sensuous mouth. 
So, are you following what's happening? Lasher is alive. Lasher is fully appeared right in front of her. He is speaking to her out loud. Like, not in, like, whispers in your head or in a vision or in a dream. He is there in front of her. She is shaking. The glass slips out of her hand, hits the floor. Doesn't break, just rolls away. She's taking a deep breath and, like, giving a big sigh. She's, like, focusing her eyes on him. And the reasoning part of her is observing, you know, like, oh, he's tall, over six feet, heavily muscled arms, powerful hands. His face is perfect in proportion. He's got, like, soft, must hair, like it's messed up by the wind. He's not the delicate, androgynous gentleman she saw on her deck. He's different. And she's just thinking this. And he says, The better to love you, Rowan, what shape would you have me take? He is not perfect, Rowan. He is human, but not perfect. No. She's scared. She feels like she's going to die. And then, she's defiant and enraged. She tries to move forward. Her legs are trembling. She actually reaches out across the counter, touches his cheek. She feels his, like, five o'clock shadow. It's, like, rough, like Michael's. And his lips feel real, like silky. She again stumbles backwards. She's like paralyzed, unable to move or speak. He's like, you, you fear me, Rowan? His lips are hardly moving, but the voice is coming out. Why? Leave your friend Aaron alone. You command me. And I did as you commanded, did I not? She's like, what do you want? Ah, that would be a very long time in the telling. His accent... Scottish accent gets thicker. He waits for you, your lover and your husband, on this, your wedding night. He grows anxious that you do not come. His face softens and looks torn with pain. Go, Rowan, go back to him. And he's saying this like sadly. And if you tell him I am here, you will make him more miserable than you even know. And I shall hide from you again. And the fear and suspicion will eat at him. And I will come only when I want to come. She's like, all right, I won't tell, but don't harm him. Don't bring any fear or worry to him. Or any other tricks. Don't do the shit. Or I'll, I swear to you, I will never speak to you. I'll drive you away. His face looks tragic and his eyes grow softer. And sadder. And she's like, and Aaron, you're never to harm Aaron. Never, never, never to harm anyone else. He's like, as you say, what is there in all the world for me but pleasing Rowan? Come to me when he sleeps. Tonight, tomorrow, come when you will. There is no time for me. I am here when you say my name. But keep faith with me, Rowan. Come alone to me and in secret, or I will not answer. I love you, my beautiful Rowan, but I have a will, I do. 
the figure suddenly shimmers like some light hits it she can see like a thousand tiny little details are visible and then it becomes transparent and a gust of warm air hits her this is scary and then it leaves her alone in the dark nothing there she's of course fucking nauseous she's like standing there trying to wait it out she wants to scream and then she hears michael's footsteps coming she forces herself to open her eyes again he's all what's wrong and he picks up the glass that she dropped Rowan what's wrong and she's like nothing she's trying to like control herself shaking in the tears and she's like I'm just a little bit sick you know it happened this morning and this afternoon and it happened yesterday too actually and I don't know what it is it was maybe the cigarette just now but I'll, I'll be okay honestly I'll be fine and he's like you don't know what it is <laughs> Babe, let me ask you right now. Do you know what it is? Frega. Oh yeah. I well, you should have known when she got sick earlier in this chapter. I thought about it, but this is such a dated trope. I hate this trope. <laughs> I hate it. It's the one. Tro uh, there's a lot of tropes that a lot of people hate that I am fine with because yeah, it works. This one I hate that when a woman faints or vomits, it means she's pregnant. And he's like, Dr. Mayfair, you sure you don't know? He's got his hands on his shoulders. And then they go like, he moves like down to her boobs. And he's like, Dr. Mayfair, even I know what it is. He's like, what are you talking about? I just need to sleep. I need to go upstairs. And he's like, you're pregnant, honey. Go look at yourself in the mirror. And he like touches her breasts again. And she's like, oh, shit. They are pretty big. <laughs> I don't know if they get that big this quick. I don't know. Women who have had children, let me know. I guess we are very all, all very different. It's possible. But then she's like, oh, shit. Yeah, they're, they're big. They're sore. And then she knows. She knows. Absolutely. She's like, oh, yeah, there's all that other shit. All those unnoticed things. He's right. She's pregnant. She fucking just right then and there dissolves into tears. Because, you know, it's been a long day. She just saw a fucking demon ghost. Now she's pregnant. What else could you do? <laughs> she got married. Yeah. So he carries her through the house as she's sobbing. She didn't think it was possible for him to carry her up that long stairway. But he did it. But didn't he already do that? I, I swear, so. I don't know why she uh, maybe editing mistake there, maybe. And he's all, I love you so much. He's crying too, of course, you know. I love you, and I've never been so happy. And this of all nights, what a wedding gift. What did I ever do to deserve this? She's all like, yeah, I love you too. So happy. <laughs> They, like, go to bed. She's, like, sobbing against this pillow. And he's all, everything is so perfect. <laughs> She's like, yeah, nothing can spoil this. Not a single thing. 
And that's where the chapter ends. <laughs> oh, Walter. So, yeah. I think we should take another break and then come back and talk about what just happened. <laughs> back again we are so oh what a chapter <laughs> did you like it yeah i liked it i enjoyed it i think more this time around i think this time around i appreciated that family dynamic aspect of it whereas the last time i was like oh yeah this is boring get through it <laughs> just because i've been to more weddings i think and uh, I also relate to the older people a little more. Like the sitting around crying thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love those characters too. Like all those characters and what they're sitting around crying about. And the way she calls them the I Remember Stella Club. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, Rowan got married. She did. And she saw Lasher. She touched him. She heard him. He changed for her. Yeah. Did you see any of that coming? Oh, I figured, but a little bit. It's hard to say with this book. It's kind of short. Well. Yeah. Well, it. I guess it, it was just a a day, a wedding it, day. It was her wedding day. Until midnight, the witching hour. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah, there the witching hour in there. Yeah. I heard that. The witching hour. So sometimes Which people, is midnight. Sometimes it's midnight. Sometimes it's like a period of the night. Like in the wee hours of the morning. Between midnight and like 3 a.m. is the witching hour. Not three hours. <laughs> right. But it, some, okay. So it's often referred to as like a period of time. The witching hour is a period of time, not like an hour. Michael calls it midnight, the strike of 12. I've heard several different things. Tim Googles again. <laughs> In folklore, the devil's hour is a time of night that is associated with supernatural events. It's just a time of night. And a time between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. But definitions vary, including the hour immediately after midnight. And between three and four. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I knew I had heard the 3 a.m. thing before. So, yeah. Very interesting. It originated as early as 1775. That's not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. First mention of that. So, again, once again, Rowan has a great experience followed by a terrible one. Um, She's definitely scared shitless. Yeah. By it. I was it. kind of surprised at that because she's, oh... Oh, he Egging even him on the whole time, and he even calls her out like, uh, "What? What? Are you scared of me? I thought you were. I thought you were gonna like defy me. Where I thought you were gonna like cast me into hell or whatever. Why don't you?" <laughs> and she's just speechless, trembling, not as tough as she thought. Also, she's pregnant because she felt nauseous, and that's what that means. If a woman is pregnant or dizzy, oh, if she faints, it's definite. Yeah, that means she's pregnant. And somehow, Michael has the man explain to her 
that she's pregnant. <laughs> but she's like, oh, oh yeah, dear, oh yes, honey, you're right. I must, I must be pregnant. I hated that. I hated that. That he realized, like, what is that? Like, oh, your boobs are bigger. I hated that this time around reading that. I don't know. And that's where the, the chapter kind of ends on that. Him being like, your boobs are bigger. You must be pregnant. And she's like, oh, yeah. So happy. I, yeah. So a lot of feelings on that. Listeners, I would love to know your feelings on all of this, any of this. Shit, there's like some things in this chapter that I didn't even get around to. If you'd like to talk about it, you can find us on Twitter at MayfordCast. We're on Instagram, the Mayford Witchcast. You can email us at the Mayfair Witchcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you with all of your queries, quandaries, questions. Theories, likes, dislikes, even if you just want to say hi. We'd love that. Also, I'm going to do the thing where I ask you, if you listen on Apple, please leave a rating and review. Tell your friends about the podcast. Subscribe and like and whatnot. All that stupid bullshit. Just because I want the podcast to grow. We've been growing slowly and I want it to grow no, no, no. even more. No, you don't have to be ashamed about half advertising. Oh. <laughs> it just feels weird to do. I can't mm. explain it. Oh. If you should happen to listen on Spotify, there is a little question I ask with the last few episodes and probably every episode here on 4th where you can click on it. And answer the question. I don't care if you actually answer the question. You can write anything you want to in that space. And I would so appreciate that. I don't know, I don't know babe. Since we're begging and pleading, is there anything you'd like to ask for? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Just do as she says, people. <laughs> Probably good advice. Yeah, we want to hear from you, no matter how, or where, or when. We love it. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time. Farewell. Bye. Bye.